Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports Show. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. So today we are going to discuss the topic of performance slumps in sport and some of the great falls from grace. And this can apply to an individual athlete or a sporting team. Now according to Alan Goldberg in his book Sports Slump Busting, a sporting slump in one's performance is a prolonged shortfall in an athlete's performance and has been used to describe the form of high-profile professional athletes in different sports. It is an unexplained decline in one's performance, a team or individual from, from a previously determined baseline level, and it has been described as a natural, unavoidable and stressful circumstance. Now, research indicates that there are many reasons for performance slumps. Some of these include physical deficiencies. So an example is a sports person playing through injury or overtraining or psychological factors. An example is the decrease in confidence and unrealistic expectations of one's capabilities or behavioural problems. So an example is golfers such as Tiger Woods and John Daly, with their off the course, off, off the golf course problems that they had and not maintaining routines and, and environmental influences. So an example is a motivational climate and non-sports stresses. One I can think of here is this, this the South Sydney Rugby League team in 1989. They were minor premiers and the following year, some players were caught taking illegal drugs and they picked up the wooden spoon coming last. So from the top of the table to right down the bottom of the table. And Newtown Rugby League team in 1981. They were runners up, you know, shocked the rugby league world. And then 1983, just two years later, they dropped out of the competition due to financial difficulties. And there's also the technical difficulties, you know, problems with skill acquisition and refinement. And person I can mainly think of here is, is former Aussie golfer Ian Baker Finch. You know, on top of the world in 1991 when he won the British Open. It was at the peak of his form and then started experimenting with his swing and his game really declined. And several years later, he was basically off the course. And Kieran Perkins, the great Aussie swimmer, just before the Atlanta Olympics, he was really struggling for form, battling uh, illness. He was struggling with his stroke. However, he put it all together in that 1500 metres final and won, won the gold medal from the outside lane, one of the most Herculean performances ever. And Parramatta's decline after their last premiership win in 1986 with the retirements of Ray Price and Mick Cronin. And they've never won a premiership ever since. And really led to a decline in their performances throughout the late 80s and throughout the 90s. Now, there's also problems with the coach-athlete relationship. So what I can think of here is the Aussie cricket team around 2012, 2013, and the poor performances they were having on the field and, and the and the the bickering that was going on, especially with coach Mickey Arthur and the homework gate scandal, where about four players from the team on, on the tour to India were stood down 
simply because they didn't do a homework task. So other slumps in sport that I can think of is the Australian rugby team, the Wallabies, and their long decline over the past 20 years after winning two World Cups in the 90s in 1991 and 1999. And now it's gone from a major sport in the country to a secondary sport. And Australia hasn't won the Bledisloe Cup for over 20 years. They've lost 18 from their past 24 test matches. And I guess this is mainly due to the decline in player numbers and lack of money and expansion and just the domination of the AFL and the NRL. And they didn't, get it, they didn't even get out of their group stage for the first time ever in a World Cup, in the recent World Cup taking place in France. Now, most of the public would not be able to name any of the players today. You know, gone are the days of the big names of Australian rugby. David Campisi, John Eels, Mark Eller, Michael Liner. And another great slump that I can think of is the West Indies cricket team, who once were the kings of cricket in the 70s and 80s. And their big decline since the mid-1990s. And this is mainly due to the retirement of many great players, not fielding their best players in Test cricket and the one-day internationals due to the best players wanting to play in the many lucrative T20 leagues, which offer them huge amounts of money. And also many young sports people in the West Indies today, they're now more interested in American sports, especially the NBA. And there's a lack of money in West Indies cricket too. And... It was unbelievable to think that they failed to make the last T20 and ODI World Cups for the very first time. And this is a team that were the kings of world cricket for, for so many years. And another slump I can think of is the Kenya cricket team. Now, they made the semi-finals of the 2003 Cricket World Cup. And I guess that was mainly due to some of the... Uh, uh, cancellations of games and forfeiting, yeah, forfeiting of games due to problems in Africa in the, in the political climate there. But they appear to be a really growing cricket nation, you know, with the Tokolo brothers and Morris Adumbi. And, however, they've failed to make the past three World Cups and now they're barely heard of on the cricket world scene due to the lack of assistance from the ICC and developed cricket nations and the lack of infrastructure in the country. And Greg Chappell, the great Aussie batsman, in 1981 and 82 season, and those seven ducks he got over the period of two or three weeks, which just seemed to go on forever for the great batsman. And former Aussie cricket captain, Mark Taylor, when captaining the Aussie team in 1996-1997, he went 18 months 21 innings before he scored a 50. He was in a huge slump. And another great Aussie batsman in the 80s, Kim Hughes. 1984-85 season when he resigned the captaincy in tears and and just the lack of form around that time resulted in, in him being dropped from the side and he was getting a series of ducks and just couldn't take a trick. And I think of my own form slump after the 1995-96 season when I scored 145 with the bat, seeing the ball as big as a, 
the size of a basketball. However, the next two seasons, I could barely get a run. And basically what I did, I came, I went back to the basics. I got a coach. I just kept things simple. And after a couple of years, I started to slowly come out of that slump and get my love back for the game again. And the four-time World Cup winners, Italy, they failed to qualify for the past two World Cups. Now, this is unbelievable. This is a, a country that have won four World Cups. And the 2014 World Cup champions, Germany, they failed to get out of the group stage in the past two World Cups. And Parramatta in the NRL, they had a great season in 2017 after all the salary cap drama in 2016. And then their main weapon, Semi Radrada, went to Rugby Union at the end of 2017. And then the following year, what, what happened was internal conflict with players and they picked up the wooden spoon. And also think about France in Rugby League, who had some great players and a great team in the 1950s and 60s. And they were runners-up in two Rugby League World Cups. And they would regularly beat Australia, New Zealand and Great Britain the other powerhouses in the sport. And I remember when they defeated Australia in 1978. However, there's been a dramatic decline with regular thrashings ever since, and this is due to the lack of money, the poor crowds, the lack of interest, with players switching codes to play rugby union due to the much better pay. They even had to forfeit games in the 1980s due to the lack of funds. So we're going to move on to the quiz now. And we have, how many questions? Six questions today. So I'm going to read the question out first. We'll have a bit of thinking music, and then I'll reveal the answer. So question number one. What is the name of the great tennis player who lost the 2011 French Open final, then fell to number three in the world rankings, and was then suggested to be in a form slump. And the answer is Novak Djokovic. Question number two. Which golfing great in 2011 did not pick up a win on the tour in two years and was according to many to be in a form slump? The answer is Tiger Woods. Question number three. What is the name of the batsman who has played over 100 test matches for Australia and only averaged 9.50 with the bat during the 2019 Ashes series? The answer is David Warner. Question number four. What is the name of the female tennis player who stunned the sporting world in 2021 by becoming the first qualifier in the Open Era to win a Grand Slam singles title? She reached number 10 in the world rankings and is now currently ranked 277 in the world. 
And the answer is Emma Radakanu. Question number five. What is the name of the Aussie golfer who reached number one in the world in 2015 and earlier this year had his first win on the PGA Tour in five years? And the answer is Jason Day. Last question. Question number six. The great Lionel Messi was labelled by some in the sporting media to be in a form slump in 2013 after not scoring a goal for Barcelona in how many games? And the answer is... See, oh, actually, this is a multiple choice question. So I'll read that question again. The great Lionel Messi was labelled by some in the sporting media to be in a form slump in 2013 after not scoring a goal for Barcelona in how many games? So I've got three options here. So A is six games, B is eight games, and C is four games. And the answer is C, four games. Right, just shows you what a great player Lionel Messi is if he <laughs> considered to be in a form slump after score, not scoring in four games. Right, we'll move on to our Who Am I Now? So, this is a country you have to think of. Right, I'm a European country who, according to Collins... Wakolo, in topsoccerblog.com, was a footballing force to be reckoned with from the 1930s to the 1960s. I fielded some of the world's best footballers during this time, such as the great striker, Ferenc Puskas. Now, during this era, I won three Olympic football gold medals in 1952, 1964 and 1968. I was also runner-up at the 1938 the 1954 World Cups and had one of the longest undefeated runs in football history, remaining unbeaten in 31 games and defeated England six goals to three in front of 105,000 spectators at Wembley Stadium in what was considered by many to be the match of the century in 1953. Now, the following years, year I smacked England's bottom seven goals to one. However, after being eliminated at the 1986 World Cup, I failed to qualify for a major tournament for 30 years and fell to 87 in the FIFA World Rankings in 1996. I finished sixth in my group at the Euro 2008 qualifiers. However, bounced back to qualify for the 2016 and 2020 Euros. During the qualifiers, though, for the 2018 World Cup, I drew with the Faroe Islands, I lost to Andorra 1-0 and was further embarrassed going down two goals to one to Luxembourg. Now since 1986 I failed to qualify for a World Cup. 
My nickname is The Magius, and I'm currently 32 in the FIFA World Rankings, and I'm on top of Group G in the 2023-24 Euro Qualifiers. My name is... And I'll reveal the answer at the end of the episode. So I'm going to talk about some other sporting slumps now. And there's a couple here that come to mind. They're former Masters winners. And one is Trevor, Trevor Immelman, the South African, who won the Masters in 2008. And the other one is Mike Weir. He's a Canadian golfer, and he won the Masters in 2003. He was a left-hander. And not many golfers on the tour are left-handers. Phil Mickelson's one I can think of, Bubba Watson. And South African golfer Trevor Immelman, Immelman sorry. So he won the Masters in 2008, three shots ahead of the heavy favourite Tiger Woods. He then was plagued by tendonitis to his left wrist and elbow, and he had to take time off the tour and went winless for the next five years. Now, Immelman was forced to play in the Web.com Tour Finals. Now, what these, these this is, they're tournaments to try and earn his place back on the PGA Tour. Now, at one stage, he was placed 1,380 in the world. And, however, he made his way back to 420th. Now, Canadian golfer Mike Weir, he spent around two years in the top 10 of the official world golf rankings between 2001 to 2005. Now, he's a left-handed golfer who won the 2003 Masters and is the only Canadian man to win a major championship. Now, he made it, number three, he made it to number three golfer in the world as well. Now, from 2009 to 2015, Weir had only one top 10 finish and he struggled to make the cut at many tournaments. And in, two, in, and in 2015, he fell to 421 in the world. And he had problems with experimenting with his golf swing and battled an elbow injury. And I'm going to talk now about some well-known football teams who have had dramatic falls from grace over the years. And one of them is the Bolton Wanderers. Now, they finish six on the EPL table at the end of the 2004-05 season. And under manager Sam Allardis had four consecutive top four finishes and reached the League Cup final. Their fall from grace was swift and brutal and were relegated by one point at the end of the 2011-2012 season. And they've languished in the lower leagues ever since. Now in 2019, the club went extremely close to being expelled from the English Football League when the club went into administration. Now the club is currently sitting sixth on the Football League One table. And then there's Nottingham Forest. Now they were one of the most successful clubs in English football history under Brian Klaus, Reynas manager. They were European champions in 1979 and 1980 were champions of England in 1978 and they won the League Cup twice. Now the club remained competitive during the 1980s. However, during the 1990s they went in and out between the Premier League and the Old Division 1. And from 1999 they spent the next 23 years out of the Premier League 
only getting back into the top flight last year. And then there's the German club, FC Kaiserslautern. Now, they won the Bundesliga in 1998 ahead of European football giants Bayern Munich. Now, they were once one of the biggest clubs in European football and once dominated German football. The club has won four Bundesliga titles and they're currently playing in the third tier of German football. And there's also VFR Mannheim. Now, they're another former German champion club. And now they're currently playing in the sixth tier. Dramatic fall from grace. And Fassberg SAF. Now, they're former, they were the former Swedish champions in 1924. And they suffered four consecutive relegations and eventually fell to the eighth tier. Now, they're currently playing in the seventh tier of the Swedish football league system. And Deport. Deportivo La Coruna, now they were once one of Spain's most dominant clubs, especially in the 1990s, and they would consistently battle Spanish football giants Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid for the Spanish titles, like La Liga and Copa del Rey. Now the club won the Spanish La Liga for the 1999-2000 season, and the Copa del Rey in 2002. However, the club's fortunes have declined dramatically since then and they are currently languishing in the third division of the Spanish league system. And then there's Portsmouth. Now the team from England's south coast competed regularly in England's top level from the early 2000s to the early 2010s. The side won the FA Cup in 2008, defeating favourites Manchester United in the semi-finals. Now in 2010, the club fell into administration and was soon relegated to the championship. The club further slumped to League One, and the good news is that they are now on top of the table of League One. So if all goes well, they'll be back in the Premier League next season. Actually, no, that's in, uh, yeah, so that'd be great if they do that. Notts County, now they are the oldest professional football club in the world. Now, the club won the FA Cup in 1891 and 1894 and were relegated out of the top league in England at the end of the 1991-92 season. So that's nearly 100 years. Now, the team now plays in the National League, which is the fifth tier of the English Football League. Huge decline. Now, what I'll... What I'm going to talk about now, something I haven't done before, is uh, just some tips on how to get out of a performance slump. Now, I spoke about what I did earlier, going back to the basics, getting a coach, trying not to complicate things. And I believe sports like golf and uh, cricket, you know, there's just such mental games. And... They're probably the sports that a, an athlete is more likely to, to uh, suffer a, a form slump in. So we're going to talk about how to get out of a performance slump. Now, according to Rebecca Smith in CompletePerformanceCoaching.com, it's not an easy thing to do and can lead to self-doubt, especially if one enjoys their sport. However, they're underperforming. And I can so relate to this with cricket. 
you know, especially especially with the lack of opportunities when opening the batting. You know, there were times where I might not get another bat for two weeks. And it can affect one's mood in general. However, the feeling is extremely satisfying when coming out of a, out of a performance slump. It is important for one to have the belief that they can come out of a slump and think positive. It's also important to not force it. I found the harder and harder I trained when I was not performing well on the field, the longer I stayed in a slump and the more frustrated I would feel. And it was more like paralysis by analysis, you know, trying to make changes to my game and you know, training all the time, thinking that you know, it would get me out of a slump the more I would train. And it was when I faced the situation with an open mind and took a break and became involved in other interests I have, I got my mojo back on the playing field. Now, underperforming can be due to mental blocks, performance anxiety, low confidence and low motivation to go to training. Now, I remember when I'd be in a performance slump. There were so many weekends where I, I would hope a game would be rained out so I wouldn't have to deal with the pressure I was putting on myself to perform. Now, the great West Indian cricketer, Sir Vivian Richards, he appeared so confident on the field, especially from the time when walking out to bat with his confident swagger, chewing on his chewing gum and destroying bowling attacks from all over the world. Now, when I watched a coaching video some years ago, Sitviv was giving some tips on being, a, being an attacking batsman. And yeah, he's a former where are they now, Sitviv. And he spoke about the importance of enjoyment when batting and not worrying about getting out. So here are some tips on how to get out of a slump. So firstly, gain awareness. So pay attention to what is not working. You know, example might be the fear. You know, in cricket, the fear of getting out. Or fearing failure is feedback. Be willing to feel uncomfortable and be aware of your beliefs. An example is you know, thinking to yourself, is that belief I'm having right now, is it helping me? Or is that belief, that belief that I'm having right now is not true? And the second tip is to build confidence. Pull from past successes. Take control of the way your body feels, the images you see in your head, the way you talk to yourself, the way the others talk to you. Focus on your mood, your emotions, and how you relate to the successes of others. Focus on what's possible rather than avoiding what you are afraid of and gain awareness of what works for you and what doesn't. And the third tip is self-trust. You know, self-trust is a skill one needs to develop. Just let the process happen. This way you're less likely to place lots of pressure on you and have the what-if thoughts. Let go of expectations and the weight of pressure and focus on the challenge ahead. Replace the what-if thoughts with the what-if-this-is-awesome thoughts and that you no longer feared failure. Focus purely on execution strategy and letting go of the what-if thoughts. Enjoy the process. The successes and failures are equally valuable to the sports person and in life. And learn from failures. Think to yourself, what can I do and how can I do it? but not overcomplicating things. That's also very important.
Right, so we'll move on to our Where Are They Now for this week. So today we're going back to the sport of golf. And I don't think we've done a golf on Where Are They Now for quite some time now. Yeah. So I think John Vanderveld might have been the last person. We had a last golfer we had on Where Are They Now. But today I'm going to talk about an American golfer, David Duval. Now he was on top of the golfing world in the early 2000s, however, suffered a dramatic form slump. And so with David Duval, he was born in 1971 in Jacksonville, Florida. Now he's an American professional golfer and former world number one. Now he competed on the PGA Tour and won 13 PGA Tour tournaments between 1997 to 2001. Now, Duval won one major title, and that was the Open Championship in 2001. And that was a Herculean performance because he battled injury throughout that tournament. Still managed to go on and win. And at that time, he was, you know, Tiger Woods was at the peak of his form, and David Duval was seen as one golfer who could challenge Tiger in the majors. Now, his father, Bob, was a golf instructor and a club professional at, at uh, Timokian Country Club in Jacksonville. And this is where David Duval learned to play golf. His mother, Diane, was a circus performer during her college years. Now, when Duval was nine years of age, his brother Brent became very ill with aplastic anemia. Now, what this is, this is a type of cancer where the body does not produce enough blood cells not enough red cells, white blood cells, platelets. Now the family then seek treatment at a children's hospital in Cleveland, Ohio, where David Duval underwent surgery to donate bone marrow. Unfortunately, the transplant was not successful and sadly Brent died as a result of sepsis at just 12 years of age in May 1981. Now understandably, Brent's death created a great strain on the family. Bob Duval had difficulty coping and moved out of the family home for a year. After receiving counselling, he reunited with his family in 1982 and continued coaching David Duval. He claims he doesn't remember much in regard to this shattering time with his family. Now in 1989, Duval was the US Junior Amateur Champion. He continued his amateur career for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets men's golf team where he excelled, becoming a four-time first-team All-American, two-time ACC Player of the Year as well. Now, in 1993, Duval was the National Player of the Year, and while still in college, he led the PGA Tour event, the Bell South Classic, going into the final round, and he would later go on to win this event as a professional. However, during this time, his parents were going through a rough divorce, and his grandparents both passed away. Duval then played on the Nike, Nike Tour. Now what this is, this is a developmental tour for professional golfers before they qualify to make the PGA Tour or what they call the Big Show or, or uh, professional golfers. It's for them who don't earn enough FedEx points to stay on the PGA Tour. Now for the next two years, he won two events and made, then made the PGA Tour in 1995. Duval began very well on the PGA Tour, 
picking up seven second place finishes from 1995 to 1997. And his great form earned him a place for the American President's Cup side in 1996, in which he won all his matches for the victorious American team. Duval had to wait till October 1997 to claim his first win on the PGA Tour, in which he won the uh, Michelob Championship at Kingsmill. Duval was in great form going on to win the next two tournaments, one being the Tour Championship. He ended the year second on the PGA Tour's money list. Duval continued his great form in 1998 and he led the PGA Tour money list. He tied for second at the Masters and won the Vardon Trophy and the Byron Nelson Awards for the lowest scoring average. In 1999, he ended the year second on the money list and that year won the Players' Championship. Now this is often regarded by many as the fifth major. And in doing so, he became the first player in history to win on the same day his father Bob did when Bob won the Champions Tour event. So the Champions Tour event, that's a professional seniors golf tour. Now Duval became the number one golfer in the world in March that year and he shot an outstanding 59 in the final round of the Bob Hope Chrysler, Chrysler Classic, scoring an eagle on the final hole to clinch the win by one shot. And in doing so, Duval became only one of two golfers in PGA Tour history to score a 59 in competition. And also that year, Duval was a member of the victorious US Ryder Cup team. Now, in the year 2000, Duval finished the year 7th on the money list and he won the World Cup for USA with the great Tiger Woods. And in 2001, he won his first major, the Open Championship. And that year it was held at Royal Litham and St. Anne's. And he won by three shots. Now going into the final round, Duval shared the lead at six under with Germany's Alex Checker, Bernard Langer and Wales' Ian Woosnam. Duval shot a superb final round of 67, winning the title, finishing at 10 under. Duval's winning speech received great praise from British commentators, saying it was, quote, delightfully modest and heartfelt, end of quote. Duval also that year won the Dunlop Phoenix on the Japan Golf Tour and he tied for second at the Masters. And in 2002, though, Duval failed to win a PGA Tour event and he finished the year 80th on the Tour money list. However, was part of the winning Ryder Cup team. So around this time, David Duval is really at the peak of his form. However, the form slump begins. Now his form declined significantly in 2003 and he finished the year 211th on the tour money list. He struggled with back, wrist and shoulder problems and experienced personal difficulties. Duval also had a form of vertigo. Now this is where someone experiences objects moving around them when they are not and they experience dizziness and it's often associated with nausea, vomiting, sweating, even difficulty walking. Now, Aussie golfer Jason Day, I remember he experienced the same problem there for a while. And, and uh, Jim Furyk, the American golfer. Now, both the effects of the injuries Duval sustained and physical ailments played a part in the breakdown of his golf swing. And he lost the rhythm in his game. 
Duval also had to deal with the emotional breakup with his partner of eight years. His form declined to such an extent that many commentators believe that his career was over. Now at the 2004 US Open, he shot 25 over par and missed the cut, and his best result being a tie for 13th at the Deutsche Bank Championship. Now in 2005, he made the cut in only one PGA Tour event. Now Duval found some form tying for 16th at the 2006 US Open, and his form slump appeared to be turning the corner, and he was scoring no more rounds of 80+. plus. I don't know about you, but I'd be ecstatic if I scored in the 80s. <laughs> now, Duval had a steady start for 2000 to, to 2007. However, once again, disappeared from the tour. It was a difficult time for Duval, having to deal with the death of his mother and his wife going through a difficulty pregnancy at the time as well. Now, this prompted the PGA Tour to make changes to its exemption policies and Duval was granted 20 starts for the following season. Duval struggled for form in the first half of 2008. However, he reappeared at one stage on the leaderboard at the Open Championship. However, a third round, 83, cost him badly, and he finished tied for 39th. Now, in 2009, Duval had to go through sectional qualifying and qualified for his first US Open in three years. He stormed back, striking form at the US Open at Bethpage Black and was tied in second place going into the final round. Now, I've heard that Bethpage Black is a very difficult course to play on, especially for golfers who uh, tend to hit the ball from left to right because it's more of a right-to-left um, golf course. Now, he finished five shots behind leader Ricky Barnes going into the final round. Now at the 71st hole, so this is the second last hole of the championship, Duval was in a tie for the lead. However, his par putt lipped out on the hole and he finished tied for second. Two shots behind winner, Lucas Glover. Duval had his best finish on the tour in seven years and he jumped 740 spots in the official world rankings from 882 to 142. Duval failed to earn his PGA Tour card for the 2010 season and he had to play on sponsors' exemptions. Duval had a good season finishing second at the 2010 AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am and he retained his Tour card for 2011. However, 2011 saw Duval's form slump again with him only making 9 out of 24 cuts and losing his Tour card. He performed poorly in the qualifying tournament to regain his tour card and in 2012 and then in the next few years Duval had to rely on past champion status and sponsor exemptions to get into tournament fields. Duval began a role as a TV golf commentator for ESPN and in 2015 he joined the golf channel as a studio analyst. He had now Duval had by now he'd had enough of this and he decided that he wanted to earn his way back on the tour rather than depend on others. In 2018, Duval was named as a non-playing vice captain for the US team for the Ryder Cup, which they lost to the Europe team. Now, according to Liam Kelly from the Irish Independent, Duval reached the top of his personal mountain after his British Open triumph in 2001. He felt a lack of fulfilment and felt empty 
And Duval said, quote, You figure winning a major will make you feel on top of the world for a long, long time. And then you realise it doesn't. If you're seeking personal fulfilment through that, my experience says that you're not going to find it. End of quote. And I guess that happens to a lot of sports people, you know, especially golfers, when they win a major or you know, win a Grand Slam tournament you know, and their form declines after that. They may be thinking to themselves, oh, is that all it is? Is that as good as it gets? So let's look at what David Duval is doing today. So he's now 51 years of age. He's now the lead analyst for ESPN's coverage of the PGA Championship, and he plays on the PGA Tour Champions Circuit. So that's the professional senior golf tour for over 50s. Now, he married his wife Susan in 2004, and they have two children, Brady and Sienna. Now, Susan has three older children from a previous marriage. Now, the family live in Cherry Hills Village, which is a suburb in Denver, Colorado. Now, Duval is a registered Democrat and was one of only a few Democrats on the PGA Tour throughout his career. Unfortunately, though, Duval is struggling to find consistent form and posted only one score in the 60s in his first 55 rounds on the Champions Tour. However, he's proud of what he achieved during the prime of his golfing career. And according to Gene Frenette in the Florida Times Union, Duval refuses to completely stress out about his golfing performance now. He said, quote, Golf is a very hard game. We all walk off the golf course every day we play, thinking, thinking we left too many shots out there. I'm trying to have the patience to let things fall into place. It's kind of the only approach to have. End of quote. Now, despite his poor form on the Champions Tour, Duval remains fully committed to being a relevant player on the seniors tour he's happy with his game so that is his swing his short game his putting but he said quote nothing is going in end of quote now Duval finds it frustrating that he is hitting the greens and getting close to the hole with little reward and his father Bobby is also extremely surprised especially considering that he has seen him score rounds of 66 or 68 in practice rounds. And apparently, you know, I've, I've heard that this was the same with Ian Baker Finch when he was going through his great slump, you know, throughout the 90s and after winning that British Open in 1991. You know, he's hitting these great scores in practice, you know, in the low 60s and just, yeah, when it came to perform on, you know, when it really mattered, just couldn't do it for some reason. His form just let him down. But Ian Baker Finch, he's also gone on to be a, one of the great golf commentators in the world. Now, recently, Duval returned to where it all began for him, at Timakwana Country Club, where his father was the former golf pro when he was a kid who taught his son the game in which he claimed international success. Duval was there to play in the Constellation Energy Furrick and Friends tournament, hoping to recapture some long-lost form. Unfortunately, though, Duval finished way down the leaderboard, tied in 72nd place. And that's the story of David Duval. So, I'll give the answer to our Who Am I for this week? And the answer is... 
hungry. So next episode, I'm going to talk about a topic, and this is a topic that Miss Olivia came up with, and it was one that I've never thought about before. We've only touched about touched on it occasionally over over the years, but the topic is we're going to talk. We're going to go way back, and I'll be talking about ancient sports. So yeah, looking very forward to that one. So. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Sports Shack. All sources for this episode are on the platform page. So it's a goodbye from Paul and have a great sporting week. Goodbye for now.